It's go time. Previously on Third Down Gamble. I've been a fan for longer than uh, I can remember not being a fan. To me, the, the name was always, that's my team. I loved it so much that I started a podcast and I put the name in the, right, in, right in the title because that was the team I loved. And no matter what happens, it's not like I'm going to stop loving football or stop supporting the team or doing anything like that because I love the team. I love the players. I, I love the game. First down. Still in the news is the naming of the Edmonton football team. I know people are still wondering and engaging about all kinds of ideas. And with us right now is Snack Bites Pete and Heath. Your thoughts on this whole process as you've seen it from your vantage point. Um, it's been pretty interesting to watch. Uh, one of the most interesting comments I read was, believe it or not, from Troy Westwood, of all people. And he said that if you're starting a team today, would you use this name to start a new, new, a new team? If the answer is no, why are you keeping it? And I think with Edmonton, I think that's a, a very true statement. Uh, I don't think anybody in their right mind now starting up a sports franchise would choose to use a name that has any of that kind of controversy uh, to it. Uh, that being said, I know there's a lot of history, a lot of tradition with the team name. And I think for me, most importantly, it's finding a way to keep that double E logo that has become so much a part of Edmonton football. So why is the double E so important? We've seen the Alouettes change logos dramatically from the 60s to the 70s and into the 90s when they came back. And again, they've changed it. Uh, this last season. It, it, there's nothing saying that any particular logo is a given. What is so significant about the double E? Why can't it be something different? Um, to me personally, and I mean, I'm not, a, I, obviously my, my um, allegiance is to the Bombers for anybody that doesn't know, uh, but I am a, a CFL fan in general. I think the double E, I think if you're already losing that team name, you need to hang on to something. I know the the color scheme, keeping the green and gold, will be a big part of it as well. But I think uh, in order to maybe ease some of that transition of, of giving up uh, the team name, keeping the logo as is will go a long way in, in helping people kind of get over the the disappointment of, of losing that name. But wouldn't club colors, uniform styles, maybe even the helmet color sort of suffice in this circumstance? Because I think back to the 1950s, for instance, helmet decals weren't there. You might have a number on the side of the helmet, but other than that, there was nothing. It was all about the team colors, the team name. What is it about that logo or decal on the side of the helmet that is so significant? Granted, I know they haven't really changed it in 55 years. Still, what is so significant? Why can't they morph it to something else? I, you know, I suppose they could. In my opinion, it looks great. And, and my team has certainly gone through some really good and really bad choices of decals and logos over the years. I'm really a fan of what they have now. And I think one of the one of the arguments I heard was people being concerned about being soaked for buying a whole bunch of new merchandise, new hats, new T-shirts, new bumper stickers, new mugs, etc. with a new name. 
if it's something that is just logoed at this point without having the, the full name on it, it's something that they can keep and hang on to. Not that people are going to stop wearing their Eskimos merchandise to games. It's, it's always going to be there, I think. It's taken this long to get the Confederate flag out of NASCAR. Those traditions are, are hard to ignore and hard to give up. I think it just kind of helps ease some of that burden for people that uh, that have been really diehard and, and dead set against a change. That being said, I, I think if they can come up with a great new logo and a, a complete rebrand, it's not something I'm opposed to, but I don't know how the casual fan in, in Edmonton will feel about a complete relaunch and a rebrand of their team. In the mid-1990s, Winnipeg rebranded. They went from the iconic white W with the blue outline on the gold helmet to a blue helmet that had a bolt and a football running through a stylized W. What was the reaction then? Well, that was also the uh, blue and bold uh, Jeff Reinbold era. So if there's ever a forgettable uh, period of time in Bomberville, that was it. I have some merchandise with that logo on it. And looking at it from today's perspective, it looks terrible. In the 90s, it was something that was, I guess, kind of cutting edge, kind of new. You know, I think at the around the same time, Toronto got rid of their old boatman logo that I still love. It's it's a hard thing. Like I said, the, the way Winnipeg's merchandise looks now with their, their old school W back, I know there's kind of a, a push to retro. The riders have done it as well. I think it's a great look. Um, you know, you look at what that lightning bolt logo was, and if you just see a picture of it, you can pretty much identify it as a mid-90s logo. It was kind of a real short period of time where that was kind of the look everybody was going for and uh, it doesn't hold up I don't think in in this day and age. It's interesting you say that if you think of the retro or what teams are going to the Bombers introduced that W that they wear now back in the 60s the Rough Riders have been going retro that logo was from the 60s the Stampeders have had the horse since the 60s BC brought in their BC and the Lionhead in the 70s, but they had a different style of it in the 60s. Tiger Cats brought in their Leaping Tiger, first time shown in the 1967 year centennial, but then used exclusively since 72 on. What I'm getting at is that it seems like whatever the first blush was or within the first few attempts, the teams found an identity with that logo and then they seemed to carry it for quite a while until somebody said at some point, well, we've seen it too long. We've got to try something different. Yeah, I think a lot of it stems from when you got a bit more television coverage and, and certainly the advent of, of color TV, even in broadcasting things. It really brought a lot of familiarity and a lot of loyalty to what that product was. Like I said, the, the 90s was certainly a time where people wanted to relaunch a lot of things. Even Well, even in the 80s, right, you got your new Coke something that was around already for for 80 plus years that was uh, an icon and somebody decided that it was time to modernize it. Um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I think you look at a lot of other uh, professional sports logos as well. There's something to be said for some of those those original ones. They, uh, they have some staying power and you get a little bit too cutesy or too cartoonish or too futuristic looking and you really pigeonhole yourself, and it's a real short window of when something like that is is desirable. 
I know this is a CFL podcast, and we'll get back there. But even you look at the Toronto Raptors, when that team was first named, was kind of the height of the Jurassic Park first movies, and, and dinosaurs were really cool. You look back at that original launch of, of their logo and, and mascot and color scheme, and it is ridiculous to see, but it's evolved into something now that, that certainly, with their new design, has a bit more staying power. Fair enough. Looks like the Eskimos name is going to be dropped if you were running the club where would you like to see that new name go to um i did write down a couple of of options uh i know you and pat were discussing last week the elks and some tradition there um which i'm certainly not opposed to it's a name that's that's got some staying power it was used in edmonton i believe almost 100 years ago uh for a for a rugby club football club at that time um, I kind of like explorers as an option. Um, you know, uh, me personally, I don't know why this one kind of came into my head and stuck with me, but I like the echo. Uh, I think was kind of a neat, a neat name as well. Um, empire was one that was tossed around, which I don't mind. But again, if you're trying to get away from some of that, um, colonialism might be one to kind of shy away from. Um, those are kind of the ones as far as a, an E name that I think would be the best options. Um, I know Eagles was tossed around there as well. Again, you've got an NFL team very well known uh, as, as Eagles, so do you want to go that direction? I would probably shy away from it if it was my choice. One of the ones that I've seen lately is Eskers, which is a, a glacial till as it was, or a, a glacier a runoff, which is kind of an interesting take on this whole situation. Right. Yeah, that one actually is kind of a neat uh, a neat choice as well. I don't know what you'd come up with for a logo design necessarily for a, for a, a geological formation, but it's not a bad name choice, I don't think. And the other one that I've been musing about in my own head, and this one's probably never going to fly, but I thought mastodons. If you want to be something of the north, something that's strong, something that's withstood epics in time, mastodons is something that's part of Canadian heritage, pre-heritage actually. And I think that would tie you to that sort of that tough, cold, uh, very strong-willed surviving type of that you want. Yeah, I was trying to think of some of those those um, kind of tundra dwellers, I guess, as well. You know, uh, mastodons is certainly a, a choice. Um, the polar bears, uh, grizz, well, grizzlies, I guess there's a basketball team as well. You don't necessarily want to go there. But I think there's some choices that you can come up with, even wolves uh, or something like that as, as well. There are, there's definitely some options out there if you want to drop the EE logo and really look at rebranding your, your, your team. And I agree, I think, if you're going that direction, finding some tie into the north and to the kind of the tundra and, and that uh, that survival kind of feeling is, is where they would want to go. Tossed out last week black bears, brown bears, and all you'd have to do is just draw a line at the end of the E's and you'd have BB. <laughs> and that would work, but I don't know if anyone's going to go for that either. Yeah, you could do something like oil barons, kind of keep in that, uh, that Edmonton industrial feel. Yeah, and I think realistically, if a season gets off the ground this year, it's probably a great time to do it because you're not going to have necessarily football in Edmonton. Um, so a lot of those fans that are right now saying, I'm not going to go to a game if they change the name, they're not even going to have an option this year one way or the other, unless they're going to make a, a trek to Winnipeg 
if that's where the hub ends up being. So it gives you that chance to kind of step away for a moment, rebrand, you're not losing those gate receipts of angry people in Edmonton because they can't come anyway, and, uh, and really set yourself up to promote over the off-season, build some excitement, build on something new and exciting happening, and hit the ground running for 2021. Second down. and play along with our CFL trivia. It's trivia time. With that lovely voice cueing us, it's trivia time, woo-hoo! everyone. I love that woohoo. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. I'm feeling uh, feeling good this week, Don. Gets me pumped every time. Yep. All right, question one. All right. Everyone got their buzzers ready? I am ready. Just don't tie that electric wire to my chair so I get a shock every time someone answers. I should I should just do that when the questions are too hard. <laughs> Question. <laughs> <laughs> you, you could be in for some shocks. Oh, I better groan my chair. Question one. The CFL Eastern Football Conference and Western Football Conference agreed to a partial interlocking schedule. And that's where the East and West play each other during the regular season. That started in what year? Yep. A, 1959, B, 1960, C, 1961, or D, 1964? You could ask a normal question. Well, this is just a guess for me, too, because I don't know. I, I don't have that history. So I'm going to guess 1960. That is B? B. And the correct answer is C, 1961. Hmm. The two sides agreed in the winter of 1960 and a partial interlock meant that you played each opponent from the other conference one time. So every second year, you would actually appear in the other team's stadium. Okay. Which is something, if you go back to one of our early episodes, I argue for vociferously to do now. Yes, I remember that. <laughs> You don't need to see everybody every year. Uh, yes, you do. I like the local derbies. Let's not get into it again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we will. Question two. Mike Pringle has the highest total yards in rushing in a CFL career, surpassing George Reed in 2004. Who ranks third? A. Charles Roberts. B. Andrew Harris. C, Damon Allen, or D, Joffrey Reynolds? Ooh, all good. All good possibilities. Joffrey Reynolds was D. That's correct. He played... Who was uh, A? A was Charles Roberts. I don't think it's Roberts. I'm going to guess D. Joffrey Reynolds of Calgary and BC. Okay, that was D. Correct answer is C. Wow. Damon Allen. See, now that, that's that's a bit surprising. That a quarterback would be that high. Mm-hmm. 11,920 yards over his career. Prolific runner. And never once did he lead the league in rushing in a season. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's crazy, isn't it? 
but he probably almost had seven or eight hundred every year he played. <laughs> that tells you how great yeah. a player he was in so many ways, other than the great cups, other than the passing. Yeah. The fact that he was a dual purpose guy throughout his entire career is just amazing. Defenses had the plan for him to run for sure. Question three. Edmonton on more than one occasion has won Grey Cups in consecutive years. But has Edmonton ever lost Grey Cups in consecutive years? Yes or no? Oh, a 50-50 one here. And I, I don't know the answer to this one either. So it's going to be pure guess once again. I'm going to say that they, they would have in the history. I'll say yes. Correct. They have. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> in 1973, they lost to Ottawa, and 74, they lost to Montreal. Yeah, I was thinking the Montreal, like down in somewhere in the 70s, because I remember Edmonton and Montreal were in them a number of times, right? But I wasn't sure if they were back to back or not. In 1975, if Jones doesn't bobble the snap at the end of the game mm -hmm. and Don Sweet hits that field goal, Edmonton would have lost three straight Grey Cups. Yep. Rarefied air. Question four. Which of the following results is an authentic, and I say authentic, largest margin of victory in CFL history? And I'll give you all the pertinent information. Okay. A, Winnipeg 58, Montreal 2 in 1982. B, Montreal 82, Hamilton 14 in 1956. C, Calgary 60, Hamilton 1 in 2017, or D, Edmonton 63, Ottawa 3 in 1995. Okay, so let's go through. I didn't write the numbers down, but the first one... Winnipeg. I, I know the third... The, the, the D was 60 points differential, right? That is correct. Was there any higher, Don? There was one. There was a B that was Montreal 82 and Hamilton 14. Is that 62 points then? That is 68. 68, sorry. I guess I, I could I guess I could have. Well, no. I, I like the numbers. I'm, I'm going to go with the, the 68 points. I, I think that has... It's either 60 or 68. It's one of those two. I'm going to go with 68 points. The key is authentic. This is not a made-up game. So you're going to go with B? Yes. You're correct. In fact, all of these games were authentic. Mm -hmm. The Alouettes rolled up 82 against the Tiger Cats in 1956 on August the 20th. Staggering I seem score. to remember. I was thinking 63 was the differential. For some reason, that was stuck in my head, but it was 68. So that's why I asked at 60. I knew it was in the 60s, but I wasn't sure if, how high. If there would have been a 63, I would have guessed that one. So it's a good thing you didn't put that in. <laughs> All right, so two out of four? Yeah, that would be two out of four this week. That's not too bad. I'll take it. Batting 500, hey. I'll, I'll take that. that. That'd be worth a few million in the major leagues. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Never been done, so enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Well, I shouldn't say never been done. I, I may have done that before, but not in baseball. Let's be clear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Don. <laughs> a little ambiguous reference to get everybody confused absolutely well another good week thank you remember for proper physical distancing 
If you're close enough to shake hands, you're too close. The recommended distance in CFL terms is two yards. Don't get a no yards penalty. Make sure you stay back at least two yards to maintain proper physical distancing. Third down. And we're back with Snack Bites Pete Heath. We've got a lot more to talk about. The Premier of Manitoba stepped up in a big way today. Uh, they've announced uh, $2.5 million from the province of Manitoba to help make Winnipeg a hub city. Um, I guess that's one of the benefits of having a former competitive athlete as your Premier. He's going to put money behind supporting um, athletics and getting, um, getting sports back reinvigorated in this uh, pandemic era. Given that that July 23rd deadline is looming, Things have got to move. Yeah, and I know we had a, a little discussion a couple of weeks ago about hub cities and, and the benefits, the pros and cons of pretty much each city. And to me, Winnipeg makes a lot of sense. They have one of the three newest stadiums in the CFL. They have a university club that works out of the same stadium. So they've got the additional training facilities, the additional locker rooms. They are right on the University of Manitoba campus. They have access to dorms that will not be full of students this fall. There's a, a lot of pros to having things right there in, in Winnipeg with all of the infrastructure that they have in place. If we're getting nine teams in a hub city, you're looking at about a thousand people. That's a lot of hotel rooms, a lot of catering to get these guys fed, um, a lot of things that have to come into place. Even the, the Winnipeg Convention Center can host um, dinners of, of 2,000 people easily. I've been to them. I've been to Bombers Legacy Dinners there. They've got that kind of space as an option as well. Not that Regina would be a, a bad host city. I think the, there's one thing I've learned about Ryder fans is they are passionate and very generous. And I think the city would embrace it um, if they were given the opportunity to be the hub city as well. So um, I think either choice, you're going to get some good old prairie hospitality. You're going to get fans um, and a city behind you and a whole province behind you. Uh, I think maybe I'm a little bit biased, but I think they're two of the strongest fan bases in the CFL. Would you have fans in the stadium? 5000 at 50 bucks per would you would you try to get at least some crowd noise in there? I would love to see it. Um, again, that's each city, each province has their own jurisdictions. Um, you know, even with the Premier of Manitoba saying that they are going to put this money up to try to be a, a hub city, he was adamant in that presentation that the next step is to really work with the Provincial Minister of Health uh, to see what's viable. The Premier seems to be on a big push to try to get a uh, large group events back on the table. Um, I think there's going to be room to get fans in the stands there, uh, which would be great, whatever that number can be. One of the things, too, about the, the investment, you there's probably, in terms of revenue for the city, north of $40 million if you have a CFL season there. Dorms or hotel stays, you've got per diems, and you're, these guys are not going to sit there forever. They're going to go out and do a couple of things, even if it is supervised. So that means more money going into the, the city coffers. It, it is a very big uh, 
enterprise that that that's worth a lot of money to you. Yeah, I think I saw with the Manitoba estimate, the premier said if with their 2.5 million investment, they are looking at as a province making double that back, and that the city of Winnipeg uh, would be looking at about a 40 to 45 million dollar influx. So, uh, you know, I think with a lot of people out of work, especially the restaurant hospitality is, industry has been one that has really suffered uh, because of, of COVID. This can be a real kickstart to get that industry back up and running. You know, when you look at NHL getting ready to go, there's going to be a lot of a lot of players and a lot of money coming into those cities. If we can get that somehow spread across the prairies here, I think it only benefits us as a whole. There's a lot still to be worked out before one of the key ingredients is that the new CBA has to be ratified or the amended CBA has to be ratified. And I believe that the vote is going to be coming this week for sure. If the players agree to this, that's one hurdle. Then you have to get past the next hurdle is the federal government is likely going to have to step up and provide some capital to cover some of these expenses because... Yeah, that's a tough one. And even just talking about the, the CBA being ratified, I know Brandon Banks has come out and said he's not putting a helmet on this year. So is that something to be taken seriously? Do you think there's going to be pushback from players or are there going to be enough of them that want to get football going and get some sort of paycheck for professional football that um, somebody like Banks is going to be an odd man out if he does stick to his guns and, and sit out the rest of the season I, it's so hard to know. He could be posturing because he's trying to get some sort of answers, and I don't blame him for that. He is a, a star in this league. He does have some pull, so people will listen to him. I don't have a problem with what he did. If he decides to sit out, maybe he's got a family situation that precludes him from taking that kind of risk in the first place. If you've got somebody that's susceptible at home, then you've got to be very aware that if you go into this bubble – you don't want to bring something back out at the end of it all. Yeah, I would certainly not begrudge anybody that chooses to sit out the season. I, I'm an essential worker uh, right now as well, so I know the dangers of exposure to the virus. I know the precautions that have to be put in place. And if anybody doesn't feel comfortable with that, I am never going to hold it against them that they make that, that choice to sit out. Uh, unfortunately, he is one of the most marketable players in the league that if he chooses to sit out, it's a big loss for the league. On the other side of the coin, he's also one of the higher paid players in the league. And maybe he's maybe he's got enough money in the bank that he can uh, um, you know, afford to sit out this season. But I think there's certainly a lot of, of other players that rely on this money that don't have a lot of fallback options at this point in their careers and need to get something off the ground. So I guess if, if I had to make a guess on this, I think there's there's going to be a bigger push from players to ratify the CBA and get something going as quick as they can. Well, if you're a rookie or if you're a second or third year player in the league, you're probably making more money playing Canadian football than you are doing something else, at least at this point in your life. Not many guys are career track just yet in the corporate world. So chances are the bulk of their revenue is coming from their professional football career in Canada. And so as such, they're probably more incentivized to ratify. We still don't know yet if the CFL is going to push hard on the 
one-third sort of ratio, you're playing six of 18, you get one-third of your salary, or do they come up? And I think that really is sort of dependent upon whether or not there's federal help in this circumstance, because you can afford a little bit more if your coffers are a little bit fuller, but you can't do so much if you don't have that revenue stream coming to you one way or the other. Now, granted, a, a federal loan is not a revenue stream, but it does provide some leverage to do something more. Yeah, definitely. And I'm I'm kind of sad that we're talking now about a six-game regular season. I was really hoping to see at least eight. So it's, it's a tough pill to swallow, even from a fan perspective. Um, I can't imagine trying to negotiate my livelihood and, and figure out what percentage of my annual salary I'm, I'm going to get. It's, it's certainly a tough position to be in. I, I'm hoping that we do get some positives from the federal government. I, I would think that with uh, Regina and Winnipeg stepping up and the provinces stepping up and saying, hey, we support this, we want to get it going, um, maybe they can push and sway the federal government a little bit more to, to now, that, now that they can see that they've got an established option to to host the, the league that that part's viable and now if they can put up the money they can keep things going six games nine teams if this goes ahead how are you going to work the schedule almost like a draft lottery to just kind of put everybody into a drum and pick your opponents um, i i don't know i mean so you've got five teams in one conference so you can play everybody there once and then two games in a crossover uh it's that would be really really tough you're not going to get to play every single team so i think i think the key is you've got to play everybody within your division once and i don't know how you schedule the rest of the games after that do you have any thoughts on that one? i wonder too if maybe you look at the 2019 standings and sort of do what the nfl used to do and that is weaker opponents play weaker opponents to get everybody more towards a, a balance. And do you look at a, trying to balance the schedule based on record? Or you, or like you say, you play everybody in the East once, that's three games. Maybe you maybe the East would be simple. They just roll through the, the East twice and they're done. It's the West that's the problem. Yeah, or do you do something kind of with both ideas in mind where you play everybody in your division once and then you look at league standing overall for the for the fill-in games. Uh, might be a way to do it. I I don't know. I mean, I'd I'd love to see that uh, that Hamilton Winnipeg rematch somewhere along the way this season. Um, but I also could never imagine a CFL season where I don't get to see the Bombers and Riders play each other. So um, there's there's a lot of things that you have to keep in mind to keep that kind of tradition. I think I think the more I talk about it, the more I like the idea of playing everybody in your division once and then figuring out some way of uh, taking the record into account, I think is a, is a great way to do it. Um, I would have to kind of look at the numbers to make sure, to see how you get um, the three extra games from the East and the, the so there's some teams, two extra games in the West, um, figure out who you play would be a, a fun a fun math problem maybe to sit down with a pen and paper and try to figure out a schedule. If it ever comes to pass, and we're certainly hoping it does, if they start Labor Day weekend, maybe the Bombers will get their wish finally and they'll be hosting the Rough Riders. <laughs> they might actually get a better result finally if that's the case, but um, I probably still wouldn't put money on it. I don't think, uh, I think no matter where they play, 
um, the riders on Labor Day are just uh, a team that the Bombers cannot beat. So we'll, we'll see what happens. The next thing you got to do is how do you orchestrate everybody coming into a hub? Yeah, that's going to be tough. And I know the numbers have, have increased a little bit of positive cases again in Manitoba and I believe in Saskatchewan. Uh, we're still, I think both provinces, very low uh, numbers, but there are a few more positives. So bringing people in from basically all over North America into one of these hub cities creates a lot of concern. Do you try to isolate an entire group of a thousand people for two weeks before you really start to do anything else? Should they be all kind of isolating and, and testing now uh, preemptively so that when it's go time, they can hop on a plane and get there, get tested again, and, and away they go. It's a logistical nightmare that I just I can't even imagine trying to orchestrate. Well, we know NFL training camps are starting this week, so immediately we're going to see what outcomes they have. I think you're right, though. It is a logistical nightmare on, on another sense, too, because in Canada, we're going to be hitting colder weather sooner than later. If the schedule carries into December, how do you play football in minus 30 weather if you're trying to wear, I think it's Oakley has the new visor and mask set up for the NFL. I imagine the CFL is investigating this. How can you do that with frost on your screen? It'll be almost impossible. I know we've both sat outside in a lot of very cold November games. And now you push that even a couple of weeks later. I, I, I love myself some outdoor football i don't mind the cold weather football but man it's going to be tough to go out and and play or and sit through games in well into december you know i i like your idea that you've kind of pitched before for a regular normal situation for the great cup to be kind of that first week of november and even at that i've been involved in some pretty cold uh games kind of remembrance day the, those uh those kinds of days as well I've also had some great weather in December, but more likely you're going to be into at least the wind chill pushing into those, those minus 20s. Frosting up visors, trying to keep players warm, that's going to be so, so tough to do. Well, you and I were at the West Final last year, and even walking along the concourse where we were, there were a lot of stations that weren't open in that cold. And Wade Miller, the president of the bombers said well canadians can tough it they they've been through cold enough but i think those days are gone i don't think there's many people left that want to sit out in minus 25 and a wind chill of minus 40 to watch a football game whatever brand it is i think you've got to be cognizant of your own health your own welfare nobody needs to get frostbite to watch their beloved sport and my stink has always been with this is that if it's an outdoor sport play it when it makes sense bring the Grey Cup to week one of November, and that way you you don't have to worry so much about having frostbite in the stands, let alone the players trying to overcome the situation. Why do you want your best and biggest game having to overcome brutal weather conditions? Yeah, that's what I was thinking as well. And I mean, Wade Miller is a, a hard-nosed football player that loved the cold weather, um, and I, I can think of a lot of great Canadian players blowing frost out of their face masks and playing in those cold games but you're bringing players up from texas you're bringing players from california alabama florida wherever and 
they a lot of those players have a hard enough time adjusting when they get playing into October November football, and now you're going to throw them in, you know, two weeks before Christmas playing a Grey Cup in the middle of the prairies. I don't know. That's uh, that's a tough one. But is there any any chance of even playing just the Grey Cup at a at a domed location? Uh, is that something that's feasible? Um, packing up those last two teams and going to play in BC Place or something like that, so you get an indoor Grey Cup. Well, I think anything's on the table. I don't doubt that that's something that's certainly being considered. Uh, just getting back to cold weather games, if anyone wants to know how bad it can be on the prairies, go to YouTube and watch the 1970 West Final between Calgary and Saskatchewan from Taylor Field in Regina. I think the wind chill that day was minus 40. And you watch that game and how the players, the turf is frozen, all they could do was hand it off and dive over the middle. That's all they could do all day long, it felt like. And the game ended on a, an amazing play by Larry Robinson to kick the game-winning field goal into a gale-force wind. Just take a peek at that game and, and get an, a sense of how bad this can be. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I, I love it. I'm, I'm one, of those player, or one of those fans that will go sit through a cold-weather game. I, I enjoy the atmosphere. I, I dress in layers. You get the, the warmers in your boots and your mitts. But... Now, if we're looking at playing into December, it's not just one home game where you've got to sit through that. Uh, now you're looking at two or three games um, getting into into divisional playoffs, finals, and a Grey Cup, and that's a lot to ask of anybody. The the Bombers' march to the Grey Cup this last year had games in in Calgary and in Saskatchewan in the in the middle of the uh, or the beginning of winter, I guess, if you will you know, add that one extra game in there and that's going to be a really, really tough schedule. You know, you're going to be a true champion regardless of only a six-game season if you march through a, a frigid playoff season like that. But I think that's a, a lot to ask of anybody. Heath, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate you putting in the time to help this podcast along. And uh, people can find you at, at SnackBitesPete. Thanks again for being on the podcast. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Third Down Gamble can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. That's spelled at T-H-I-R-D-D-O-W-N-G-A-M-B-L-E. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio. Worth watching. Worth watching.